Welcome to Movie Maniacs, discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chuck Curry, alongside my partner, Kenny B. This is uh, Movie Maniacs, our weekly radio podcast heard on WoWo, WOWO out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, every Saturday night at midnight. This is the program. Uh, as you know, Ken, where we talk about anything and anything related to the world of motion pictures, we delve into TV and also the world of pop culture. Uh, busy week. Uh, we just had a lot of information to uh, tell, uh, a lot of excitement to move forward. And a lot of movies are going to be opening in the next uh, 30 days, which is really going to be a barometer of how theaters are going to perform uh, going forward for this summer season. I would say highly anticipated summer season because I think there's a few really good films uh, of anticipation coming out. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Ken. Uh, how are you doing on this uh, beautiful, sunny, blue sky day? I'm feeling like the judge at a beauty contest in a state fair in Kentucky because having to go through these uh, best movies of the uh, past decade, it's sort of like judging a beauty contest in Kentucky. My my Indiana fans will appreciate that, I guess. But I, I'm doing very I'm doing very well. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think that. Uh, one of the things that we'll probably touch on a bit later is the uh, um, really the the barren wasteland of of movies. Uh, it really brings it back to you when you look at the last decade. That if you're not a superhero, whether um, human superhero in the case of a James Bond, or a superhero in the case of you know Marvel, or you're traveling intergalactically, uh, you. Nobody cares about you in the movies anymore, and I, I think I found the reason, and I'll mention that when we get into our top tens. Yeah, and, and just to prefacize that reason Ken brings that up is because last few weeks, uh, actually last four weeks, we started talking about movies, our ten best, our favorite films, ones that we dig from the 70s and the 80s, 90s, just started in the 2000s. This week, we're going to delve into 2010 to 2019, our ten best, and I would agree, going through the list, doing some research, looking at films off the pop top of my head uh the, this the, the well there's a lot of good movies but not the plan the the plentiful uh array of movies where you really can't even fit into a uh a, a, you really need a top 50 list for the 70s and 80s where i think this decade uh, 2010 through 19 uh it was a little bit easier to do a, a top 10 it sounds like that from you and also from me so we're going to do that in the latter half of this of this uh program again this is movie maniacs our weekly radio podcast let's bounce into ken uh some box office totals of interest second week in a row guardians of the galaxy uh part volume three uh number one at the box office did 60.5 million off a hundred and i think 113 million dollar opening had a very very strong hold actually the best marvel hold post covid 48 percent uh week to week which tells you that this james gunn uh, directed entry once again in this franchise uh, was well received by its core audience. They like what they saw. I got a chance to see it last week, as I said on this program. I liked the film. I thought it was emotionally uh, pow- powerful t- to a point that the acting was fantastic. It had a lot of good set pieces. And overall, uh, I would certainly recommend it if you're a fan of this franchise. Uh, Super Mario Brothers placed second, another 13 million, just a 29% drop off week to week, 535 million. Domestically, in six weeks, films done over a billion worldwide. We keep talking about this on this program. Really, this is really the 
this is where st- these studios want to be. They want these billion dollar properties. Uh, they got it here with Super Mario Brothers. Uh, new to the new to the club book club next chapter, uh, which it gears to a, a little bit of an older demographic to say the least. Uh, Six point five in its opening frame. I gotta be honest, Ken, it's not good enough. I mean, these movies need to do 10 million plus. I don't know how word of mouth will be or the whole week to week, but uh, if you look at the drop off from the number one film, 60 million, to the number three film, 6.5, that is a, a, a interesting or telling sign, because if you go back 20 years and, or, or 15 years even, and you look at box office week to week, you're not gonna see severe drop offs between one and three. And that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with one or two movies where people flock to, and the rest, uh, not 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 so much. Uh, thoughts on that one? Well, yeah, and the real problem too is when you look at it with Book Club, uh, you've yeah. got three or four stars there who would have uh, 10, 20 years ago would have pulled in uh, ten million dollars if it was a film of them reading the phone book. Right, and again, they're stars, but to who? That's the thing. You see, it's a generational thing. I mean, Jane Fonda, Diane Keaton, Mary Steenberg, and Candace Bergen, all ter- terrific talents, very appealing, uh, well-respected people. But again, if you're 20-something, 30-something, you're not going to go see uh, book clubs, especially no. in, a, in a movie theater. No, no, because those of us who are their, their fans, we were sitting and watching... Uh, yeah. um, faithfully yours or something like that on netflix a a film from denmark or, or from the holland the netherlands uh, uh because we sit at home and we we watch whatever netflix tells us to watch as we discussed last week and that therein lies the problem there the depth and once again the depth in the uh in the movies isn't there and even though you have 40 screens in your cineplex if there's only two shows two movies that are showing you really only have two screens. Uh, I, I think that's a fair assessment and certainly an issue. Now, this week, coming in, in, into uh, multiplexes, uh, highly, I guess it's highly anticipated. Fast X, the 10th entry in the Fast and the Furious franchise, tracking to do around $300 million opening weekend worldwide. Uh, it's going to blow past $100 million here domestically. It has gotten uh, about 57% positive Rotten Tomatoes which I think is more than good enough for Universal. I mean, this has become a bombastic, over-the-top franchise that has still a lot of entertainment value, but not every critic is, is going to find this stuff appealing. So I, 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 think, I don't think critical reaction, I think 57% positive, is actually a good number for a movie like this. Now, uh, another, uh, and then that next weekend, you got Disney's live-action version of uh, The Little Mermaid, opens nationwide so you're starting to now get you got guardians you got fast x you'll have a live action little mermaid uh and and then going forward june 2nd you're gonna have indiana jones and the dollar destiny which as we tape today uh tonight in Cannes uh Cannes film festival the world premiere ken of indiana jones and the dollar destiny so i would expect social media to blow up tonight but i just want to hawk in and give people a history lesson when the last installment in the indiana jones franchise came out crystal skull it premiered at cans and it got like a seven or it got like at least a seven million seven minute standing ovation and the rotten tomato scores hit and they were like 90 something percent positive and then when the film came out that weekend when it was released the general public was so sour on that movie including myself i just did not 
I thought it after 15 minutes it sort of fell out of bed and it just it's just I didn't think it was a good movie it's a big disappointment in the canon of Indiana Jones so I'll take whatever reaction comes out of cans with a grain of salt I mean Jan, Johnny Depp just premiered his, his comeback movie in cans they gave him I think a 14 minute standing ovation uh, everybody gets a standing ovation at cans Ken so uh, you know, take it the way you will. Well, yeah, because you're showing a bunch of movies to a bunch of people whose livelihood depends upon movies being successful. So they're gonna they're gonna push everything. And as we know from the Academy Award voting, the people who know the least about what is a good movie tend to be those people who make those movies. Yeah. So you I mean Kansas is what uh, Kansas? Is. Although uh, in in uh, I think this week. In, in movie history, 1994, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction premiered at Cannes, and obviously that got acclaim and changed the course of uh, his career, one of the best films released of uh, that year, certainly also that decade. One other uh, point of view in terms of box office before we move forward, uh, Robert Rodriguez's new movie, Hypnotic, which is a crime thriller uh, or a detective story with Ben Affleck, uh, was released. I think it was released on 2100, 2100 screens. Not a lot of PR, not a lot of money went into the marketing because they didn't think this was going to do great. And it did just 2.3 million in business, which, uh, you know, that's the old school. That, that is a bomb. Uh, it's a $90 million production, Ken. So you know tax law. I would say that would be a, uh, a tax write-off, correct? Yeah, but, you know, the funny thing is, uh, because ben, Benifer both, uh, they, they had a joint uh, premiere last week. Each of them uh, both... Uh, Ben and Jen uh, had had a movie premiere. Hers, of course, was on Netflix, and uh, her movie got blasted. And everybody said his movie was so much better. So his movie makes two million bucks, and she has eighty five million hours of viewing for the mother. Yeah. And that one thing I, I can tell you, I, I yeah. liked I liked the premise of the mother because it was uh, it was something you you know I've never seen before, where you know a mother gives up her daughter, then fights to save her daughter, and. Well, she doesn't. They don't end up happily ever after. You know, mom, mom dressing her up for the prom. But uh, Jennifer, Jennifer, uh, uh, Jen, J Lo is not an action star in my book. It's just I, I couldn't, I couldn't really see her as a uh, as a trained killer, as somebody uh, you know beating up these men and all that. That just isn't her image to me. And she's done some of this before, but I, I say two things about your comment. One, what you're saying is plagiarism lives in Hollywood, correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and two, uh, it's amazing how she does an age. I mean, she does look, I mean, she looks still amazing. I know a couple buddies, including Mike Rags, who uh, who watched uh, The Mother on Netflix and, and, and sent me a text and said, actually, he, was, uh, he enjoyed it. It was uh, it was it was uh, it was pretty good. Uh, so hopefully the egos were not too bruised in the uh, J Lo Ben Affleck uh, household. Now before I move on to some movie news and stuff, you have anything on your mind that you saw or want to uh, feed to the audience? I mean, I, I saw the mother, and yeah, I, I, I again, I, I liked the movie. I thought J Lo isn't necessarily the one I view of as an action star, but yes, she does look look good. And uh, A Rod watched the movie and said he hated it, from what I understand, but. Um, no, and, and I, I watched the uh, Faithfully Yours or whatever it was uh, the yesterday, a Dutch movie that was on Netflix okay. that uh, also it also has a very very quirky ending. I like it. 
Um, there's a there's a woman who stars, or she's a she's a supporting actress in that who had been in a few uh, uh, Belgian crime series that I watched in the past. So I'm actually watching enough of these foreign um, series to get to know people. I watched the Turkish series this week for people who like mm-hmm. really strange shows. Where do you find this stuff? Netflix. Okay. It's it's in and it's in English, so you don't have to read the subtitles. Uh, it's about a tailor, uh, you know, a, a I mean, basically he's a high class designer. The quirkiest characters you'll you'll ever find. His father is um, has has a mental problem. His father's got the eight, you know the mental age of a child, and they call him the Mad Master. And just just watch an episode of that show just for the acting of this guy who plays the Mad Master. I was just fascinated. Anybody could play a child, an adult could play a childlike character that well. And I'm not talking about Tom Hanks uh, in uh, in Big. I mean, this is somebody you know who is who has a mental issue and is um, basically you know the age of a child. But it was actually an interesting series and in, uh, seven episodes, and it's uh, been renewed. Uh, they're going to come another series coming out in July. So I watch a lot of Turkish uh, television because it's, uh, it's, it's it tends to have some really uh, great quirkish themes, and I, I enjoyed it. Ah, pretty cool. Uh, bouncing into some movie news, it appears that James Gunn in, in DC over at Warner Brothers is actively uh, trying to cast his Superman legacy movie, which uh, should be out in the next couple of years. Clearly, this is a, a pet project for James Gunn and a fast track movie over at uh, Warner Brothers <clears throat> and uh, DC. Uh, Gunn ha- will, wrote the script and he will direct it himself. He is the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. It appears, it looks like they're going to go with a relatively unknown as Clark Kent, Man of Steel. They've banted a few names. I looked at the pictures. They certainly fit the part. A uh, couple uh, lower profile, but name actresses for Lois Lane. And uh, Nicholas Holt it reportedly is the front runner to play uh, Lex Luthor. Uh, and I was a little surprised that they would go with Lex Luthor again because he's been in just about every uh, Superman movie other than uh, the, 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 the Zack Snyder Man of Steel, although he came for Justice League. So you, you've seen Lex Luthor in every, almost every, every incarnation of Superman. I know he's the number one nemesis of uh, the Man of Steel, but I thought they might do something a bit different, at least for this first installment. But it appears you're going to get Lex Luthor in the Superman legacy movie now nicholas holt's a good actor he's in his 30s i i envision luther more in his 40s though and i thought uh that in justice league i thought they missed a massive opportunity not casting brian Crass, cranston ken uh as lex luther zach snyder went something quirky with uh, jesse eisenberg who i thought was interesting but brian Crast cranston a breaking bad fame i thought was born to play that role and he would i think he would equal gene hackman's terrific turn from the uh 1970s. Oh, I, I, any, I think, any thoughts on that one? No, I, I think you're right. Cranston would be a perfect choice. I was just sitting here thinking, some they should do a Superman someday, the sort of the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno way, and actually have Clark Kent and Superman be two different people. Because I'm sorry, but if you can't recognize the guy with his glasses and without his glasses being the same guy, you know, I never got it. But uh, you know, make make it make him actually be different, and that'd be that'd be a nice twist on it, you know. Yeah, but I gotta, you know, if you look at the way Christopher Reeve played that role, you know, the, the, the personality was so strikingly different that, uh, I, you know, you just been, you disbelief. But I, I, I fully understand uh, where, where you're coming from. One other thing on Indiana Jones and the Dollar Destiny, 
uh, this will be the longest running time for an Indiana Jones movie. I think it's like clocks in around two, almost two hours and a half, uh, or two hours and 20 something, like 25 minutes. Uh, the first two Raiders was under two hours and, and, and so was Temple. Uh, the last installment, Crystal Skull, I think was like two hours and uh, 18 minutes. So it's gonna be longer than uh, than 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 that one. Uh, that's so longer. Under, that's longer yeah. than it takes to drive across the state of Indiana. So that's yes. kind of interesting. Yes, it's going to have become. You know, it's going to become Illinois yeah. Jones at some point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, some other tracking news: Transformers: Rise of the Beasts was come out June 9th. Uh, again, this is a series of big movies coming out week to week to week to week. Uh, tracking's not very good on this film. I am not surprised. Simply because it has mostly unnamed, unknown cast, uh, it seems ah, been there, done that more than a few times. Uh, it's a two hundred million dollar production, that discounting production budget. So, film's gonna have to do at least six hundred million worldwide to get its money back. Will it do it? Mm, I, I still think it'll make money. I don't know. I don't know uh, if it'll it'll make much more than its break even. Other news: uh, the, the Adam, Alec Baldwin, very uh, turbulent production of rust uh my goodness it actually wrapped production they went back in ken and finished that project i believe alec Baldwin did a behind the scenes documentary documenting uh everything i mean i clearly think after all that happened on that set and he was uh he was going to be conv- uh indicted and then they, they they dropped the charges uh which i think warranted to drop the charges but having said that it's sort of weird that uh, you know, a person was murdered, you know, accidentally on the set of this movie, and they finished it, and he's doing a behind-the-scenes doc on it. Uh, there'll be a lot more interest, obviously, because of all the controversy and publicity than there would have been. Uh, you, what's your, you have interest in seeing this film? I, I, I do because I, I'm not, I do too. But but I, I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm not that. I don't find it that big of a thing that they you know that they finished uh, the the production because. And it's not like we lost. I'm sorry, and I don't want to lessen anybody's stats, but it's not like we lost a star in the movie. You know, we. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, because we finished uh, Twilight Zone after yeah, Vic after Vic Morrow had his head cut off with with, uh, with uh, Brandon Lee. Yeah. When he died, he was killed on the set, yeah, and, and, and they finished that well, and released Vic, it. Vic Morrow had his head cut off by a yes. helicopter blade. So and that was in '83. Yeah. So I, I I think I think it was the right thing to do to finish it. I, as a yeah. lawyer, let me lay, uh, lay sure. in here. I thought I thought that the idea when originally they were going to charge him was absolutely asinine, and uh, you know it, a- accidents happen. And uh, I agree. I, I get tired of hearing people saying, "Well, you know, anytime you pick up a gun, you're responsible for it." Well, you know what? Actors on the stage and in the it's kind of interesting because it's almost presages one of one of my top ten movies here. But you know, you expect the gun on the stage to be uh, a prop gun, and uh, you know because otherwise, every time you had to on the stage or in a movie fire a gun, you would have to stop and check it, and that could really ruin continuity. Uh, and um, you know, oh well, he was a he was a, pro- a producer, and there were a lot of they cut a lot of corners. They did, but. You know, one person was at fault here. That was the armorer, and I think everybody agrees with that. And you know, she was she's going to have to live with it. Uh, I I agree with your complete assessment, hundred uh, uh, percent. This week in uh, TV history, interesting one here, Ken. May seventeenth, nineteen seventy-five. NBC pays uh, MGM five million dollars for a one-night airing of Gone with the Wind. Uh, the ratings were through the roof. 
So I guess that five million was justified. So five million dollars for one airing gone with the wind in uh, nineteen seventy-five. Well, th- think of it though, too, because back then we didn't have VCRs, uh, no. or if we did, we just a few really rich people might have had had something. Um, a lot of people had only seen Gone with the Wind if at all and as a revival in a movie, but most of us had only heard of it. It wasn't something you could dial up on demand. And so, yeah, that was a, that was a huge event. I did not watch it. Yeah, I did actually watch it. As you can say, I, I watched it. I remember when, when, they, they, when they aired it. And, uh, you know, those kind of things back then. I used to get to see Casablanca once a year on public television. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was, for people that are younger than us, it was a different world back then. You know, it you, was. You, you know, didn't get to just go out and watch any movie you wanted. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't. Uh, I remember, I remember uh, in, in, the, in the 70s, you know, when the Italian Inferno first aired on, in two parts on NBC, one on a Sunday night, and then they had a cliffhanger, uh, and it completed the rest of the movie on a, on a Monday night. It was actually pretty exciting, because that was the only game in town. And I said this before on the program, I remember... Back in the day, it probably was like 1979, 1980. I was a kid and I was walking through a shopping mall, King's Plaza in Brooklyn, New York, and I seen the Betamax behind the counter in a glass case locked of John Carpenter's Halloween. And I said to myself, boy, this movie's been in theaters. It's made so much money. Everybody's seen it. How in the world could I be able to own it at home? That, that's, that, that's, that seems... Like it's impossible. Like you, and that's the way it thought, you know, back then to, to, to think that you could take movies home and watch them. And I say, tell you a quick story, Ken. I remember the first two VHS movies that I rented uh, in a video store. I had to pay a hundred dollar deposit. That was the that was the, the the deal, right? And I rented The Great Escape and I rented The Natural with Robert Redford. And I, when I walked out of the store, I remember how excited I was. That holy smoke. I could put this in a machine in my house and watch this, these great movies on my television. It was it was actually super exciting. Yeah, I don't you know some some of the uh, listeners here in Indiana may be able to relate to this. The first two movies I ever rented uh, were yeah. actually from an adult um, uh, bookstore uh, back back in the day, Kokomo, Indiana. There was a an adult bookstore on either side, north side or south side, on the main highway on Route 33. I think it was 31, maybe. Uh, are coming up from Indianapolis to South Bend. They were just outside the city limits. We were having a, uh, a bachelor party for one of the lawyers at the law firm in South Bend where I was working. So I had to stop and, uh, and get uh, movies because I, actually they weren't rented. They were purchased because they didn't, they didn't rent those kind of movies back then. But uh, those were the first movies. I, those were the first uh, videos I ever rented were for a, a bachelor party. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I, I won't. I won't go into the plot. No, 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 no. We've heard enough details. How's this one? Talk about viewership. May 14, 1989, the final episode of Family Ties airs. Michael J. Fox, Michael Gross, Meredith Baxter, Bernie, uh, on NBC. Thirty-six million viewers. Ken. Thirty-six million viewers. Tune in the last episode of Family Ties, May 14, 1989. Yeah, a lot of eyeballs. That was a terrific show. Though. Yeah, terrific and don't show. forget Mallory Justine Bateman, who also. Uh, Yes, I had, of was was big in that show. Very good on that show. Yeah, that, that was a great show, and of course, it the, was the banter I, between actors were fantastic. I, I can't show. tell you how many times when introducing uh, the song by uh, yeah by the song, I, I my, my, what happens to your mind sometimes? Yes, at, I agree. At this moment, 
by uh, yes. Billy Vera and the Beaters that I would remind people that that song was released and died. And then it was uh, featured actually twice on episodes on Family Ties. Once when he sang to his girl goodbye to his girlfriend at the train station, and right. it became a huge hit after that. So yeah, it was a great yeah. series. Uh, it, it was a you know it was a, a very interesting role that he played. Uh, uh, and very uh, interesting. It, it was, was very. I mean, the, the best actress in that show, of course, was Meredith Baxter because she again was playing a married woman, and we didn't realize yeah. at the time that you know she actually was and she's married to a woman. But uh, that was her big, uh, and that was her big uh, hit after uh, Bridget Loves Bernie. So it was no, it was a great series, and uh, they don't make television like that anymore. No, I mean, Courtney Cox was his first girlfriend, Mike J. Fox on the show, and then he met his wife, Tracy. Right. And, and, and don't forget the character of Skippy, and also the guy, I forget the name of the character that, uh, that uh, uh, his sister, the, the, what's her name, his sister played on the, on the show. He was doing that, like, sort of Sylvester Stallone impersonation throughout the uh, run. Yeah, it was a terrific show. Now, here's some casting. You tell me what you think of this. I, I'm a little, I'm shaking my head at this one. Simply because I think he he's he doesn't need to do this stuff. Eddie Murphy reportedly circling uh, MGM's new Inspector Clouseau Pink Panther movie. Uh, I guess he'll do it for a big paycheck. He's a tremendous talent, Eddie Murphy. I believe he just filmed Beverly Hills Cop uh, Part Four for Netflix, which I'm really looking forward to. I hope it's good and it gets released in theaters first. But Eddie Murphy is in, Inspector Clouseau in the, in the Pink Panther reboot. Why can? Well, and don't forget, coming to America, the the the, the sequel sucked. But um, even even Eddie's Murphy, Eddie Murphy's friends will tell you it sucked. Uh, I I don't you know he he is not the kind of comedian I see as Inspector Clouseau, and has nothing to, has nothing to do either. with race because of course uh, France you know, is well known I, for for people of yeah, African descent. He's smart to play that role, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's just. Um, I mean that that's one of those roles. It's it's hard to top the original, but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, Simon did a good job, but again, it's not really my cup of tea. Right, it is what it is. Uh, Twister, uh, the sequel to Twister, titled Twisters, uh, has just added actress Maura Turney, her ER fame. I'm a fan. I like her uh, a lot, actually. Uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, uh, Glenn Powell, who is uh, in Maverick. Anthony Ramos, mostly unknown names to most of the mass people, but Twisters, it's called. Uh, not really will be a sequel, but sort of a reboot of the franchise. I, 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 I like them doing this because uh, Warner Brothers, because I think the concept of Twisters is a good one for a blockbuster movie. So I actually am looking forward to it. It should be out in theaters, not next year, but the year after what well, you like twister i mean it I, was on your top I, I 10 do, i do of, uh 2000s right yeah and, and with all respect to uh to helen hunt it's not uh it's not necessarily the uh that 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 move the original movie didn't have big stars at the time well, they did yeah, the movie yeah i mean bill paxton you know was doing a lot of uh supporting work it made him a star yeah they made him a star it made him a star and it goes to show you bill paxton i'm, I'm so glad in retrospect that Bill Paxton got the twister role because I said on last week's program originally they wanted Tom uh, Tom Cruise and then Tom Tom Hanks and then uh, both wound up passing at sort of last minute and uh, I think Tom Cruise recommended Bill Paxton as a lead and they took a flyer on him and I thought he did a great 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 job uh, I just love his smile over his laugh Bill Paxton there's something about the, the guy I, I was a big fan of I thought he was a terrific and, talent 
Yep, and, and Jamie Gertz, of course, was a billionaire, so she really didn't need much after that. So she's yeah. a, she's a part owner of some of the uh, with her husband of some of the Milwaukee sports franchises. So in wow, case you didn't know that, I didn't know, you know why I did not know that. I yep. did not know that. Yep, I did not know that. I, I actually thought her character was the one over the top. Beside the twister itself, <laughs> her character was crazy. It just was. She was so over the top in, in that movie. But I, I don't think it, it. It didn't hurt it. I still am a big fan of that film, especially on the big screen. Terrific movie. Uh, anything else before we b- bounce into our top ten favorite movies from 2010 to 2000? And 19 and get the show really on the on the move ken anything else oh i'd rather do anything else than discuss the movies of that decade okay so <laughs> we're gonna do it uh our top 10 movies from 2010 to 2019 I'm, I'm gonna start this time i'll do my 10 through 6 and then we'll go one at a time five through one my number 10 i went with uh i went with the movie that won the oscar in 2016 it was released in 2015 spotlight uh true story of uh, Boston Globe investigating uh, a lot of unholy stuff in the Catholic Church, uh, specifically sex abuse. Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams headlined an ensemble cast. This had terrific acting. It was a good, involving story. It was just good storytelling from uh, top to bottom. I'm a fan. My number 10 spotlight. My number nine, a genre film that I am a huge, huge fan of. I've talked about many times on the show, and that would be Kick Ass from 2010. I love me some kick-ass. It made a star out of Chloe uh, 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 Moretz, uh, who played Hit Girl, one of the great pop culture female characters of all time. Matthew Vaughn did a great job directing this from a graphic novel. Highly entertaining, wildly uh, exciting, very funny. I've screened this movie for multiple sports teams at the local college, ESU, who have loved watching it. Uh, So kick-ass is my number nine. Number nine, Ken, I went with a comedy, and that's Bridesmaids, because very few films have made me absolutely belly laugh uncontrollably like this film. Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, great cast, great ensemble, so, so funny. The laughs hit hard and often. It's one of the great comedies of all time, I think, so that's my number eight. And, and number you know, seven, we, we talk today uh, about in places like San Francisco and that, where people are defecating in the streets. Well, at least in that movie, they did it right. <laughs> And, that, and that, that scene is just off the charts funny. Number seven, I did go with a superhero movie. I went with the first Avengers movie from 2012, directed by Josh Whedon, simply because this movie brought back for me the event film feel that I absolutely loved. In my lifetime, specifically in the last 30 years, Jurassic Park, Independence Day, and then the Avengers were the three best event films I've seen in a movie theater with a crowd. Super exciting. Those movies delivered in spades. The crowd went nuts. And I just remember having a super duper good time. So the Avengers from 2012 is my number seven. And my number six, I went with Skyfall from 2012, which I believe to be the best James Bond movie ever made. Uh, great direction, uh, great cast, top-notch story, very lean uh, no fat Daniel Craig was awesome Judy Dent was incredibly good in this movie Javier Bardem was a great villain uh, I loved Albert Finney here uh, this movie is perfect this is a perfect James Bond movie that they may never get right again to do this good so Skyfall would be my 
number six. I love that movie. Great movie, Ken. And I, I do as well. There was I just, just one other movie from that year that I had to pick. I, I messed up, so I'm going to end up doing 11 today because That's I, fine. That's I, all good. I, I messed up. Uh, I started with 2011 to 2020. The, the the true definition of a decade, but you're right, we were doing the popular definition because, of course, the decade always begins with a year that ends in one, ends in a year that, be, begin, that ends in zero, but we count our decades and our centuries incorrectly. Yes. So my, my number 11, my honorable mention here for my best movie of 2020, um, only because I wanted to put out a little tidbit about it, I actually liked this movie. It was Capone by with Tom Hardy and Linda Cardinelli. And it, show, it was Capone in his later syphilis-ridden uh, life as he was, uh, you know, losing touch on reality. Very well acted. I'm a big Linda Cardinelli fan. But 2020 was a huge year because, you know, for the entire first century of film, yeah. one country dominated the box office, and that was the United States. In fact, for a while, the, you know, the, the United States was more than 50% of the global box office. 2020, for the first time, the United States was not the largest box office for movies. It was China. Well, which I'm going to suggest. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that fact. But I'll, uh, okay. I'm going to suggest, and because you know, I'm going to get through my top ten pretty quick because I hate them all. But I'm going to suggest. <laughs> I'm going to suggest that maybe one of the reasons why we see so many of these action movies, superhero movies, whatever else kind of movies that we like to say well, there's too many of, because it's very easy to put them into subtitles and show them in China. Just a thought. I, I know that. And that's, and, and, and that's also why you have in certain movies, like uh, Shazam was an example, and uh, there's been a handful of them. I remember when the Independence Day sequel came out, which I hate, hate, but they use a lot of, of Chinese actors in, in the subplots yep. uh, for, for that reason, which I, I you know, I'm just I'm not a fan of, of that just to make a buck. And if it's done to make a buck, it's not a fan. All right. Now, I skipped. I, I, I'm going to might and I go, of course, chronologically. So from 2010, it was actually yeah. probably the best year of the decade. And I and I skipped it. Uh, you know, but you had Black Swan, you had Social like Network, you, you had The King's Speech. I'm going to go with Winter's Bone because it okay. it was Jennifer the fir- first starring role of one of the biggest stars of our generation, Jennifer Lawrence, and it would lead leaders to bigger and better things. So that was my number one from 2010. Totally different character that I, I see in her. Although, actually, pretty much like, like Katniss, you know, the poor person from the hills, but... In any event, 2011 is my uh, my number nine because I, I have everything messed up today. Uh, this was the first franchise to reach over three billion in ticket sales for an animated franchise, and that would be Puss in Boots, which made Shrek the first franchise over three billion dollars. Interesting little tidbit there. That is, yeah. And, uh, th- th- and that's why we're going to have another Shrek movie coming along. But I, I really Puss in Boots. It was great, great acting. Okay, great voicing, uh, great writing. It was a, it was a movie I saw with uh, on a date with an adult, and I saw it with my daughter and grandkids, and it was that kind of movie that it would work either way. 2012, you don't like this franchise. I have a sentimental attachment to it. Uh, my daughter had uh, just been through uh, a very se- serious cancer surgery. I was in Boston helping to uh, helping her to recover. And we went to see The Hunger Games. And, uh, of course, for 2012, that's my number nine. Uh, 
Yeah, maybe that's, maybe Jennifer Lawrence was playing the same actress as in Winter's Bone. But in any event, it was the first film to be number one for four consecutive weeks at the box office since Avatar. So it was a it was a, it was a hit when they when they needed a hit then, and of course it spawned three sequels after it. Yep. You know the whole the whole thing three books sequel four movies. And Two, currently filming a prequel. Right, right. Two thousand thirteen yep. would be my number eight film, and that or number yeah eight number six seven film whatever uh, that would be Frozen. Uh, it's because it's it's spawned its own franchise i've heard the songs from frozen a billion times i know olaf and i know all the characters even before i saw the movie i've seen these movies with my grandkids forever Uh, it was you know it was the animated franchise i believe of the 2010s did extremely well it was only the second movie to go over one billion dollars at the time second animated movie after toy story 3 and at the time, it was the highest animated uh, gross for uh, any animated movie. At the time of release, it was then passed by other ones being re-released. And a surprising one for me, because you know, I, my film, my my art, I like realism. My movies, I like realism. Uh, it's even though I sometimes sneak in a, a crazy one. This one's a crazy one, but. Uh, you know, the best scene in it, of course, is when the actor on stage picks up the gun that had been put there. Uh, it, it had been put there by one of the Baldwin brothers. He didn't check and he blows his nose off. Okay, actually, he was trying to commit suicide. It was Birdman, 2014. And okay. pr- probably Michael Keaton's coming back out party. Um, it was, I mean, that was, it was. That was the movie he needed. Uh, it was a very funny, although very strange film. And... It had some of my favorite female actresses in it, Amy Ryan, Emma Stone, and Naomi Watts. It won the best picture, and it's very unusual for me to like a movie like that. So that's my number six, Birdman, 2014. Good picks, Ken. Uh, Now we're going to go one at a time. Uh, I like my list here of my top five. I really do. I I really would say I love all these movies. My number five, I went with uh, 2016 Hacksaw Ridge. Directed by Mel Gibson, starring Andrew Garfield, uh, about a, a a young man who's enlist who who, who is in, in, enlisted into World War II, and he's a pacifist. He refuses to kill anybody. It's a true story, and he winds up saving his entire infantry, even though in the beginning he was shunned by his fellow soldiers because of his tact. He winds up saving all of them single-handedly. The direction by Mel Gibson in this movie, especially in the last act, is just awesome. I remember sitting, uh, standing in my seat, so excited watching this film in the last act. My adrenaline was pumping. It's character-driven. Andrew Garfield's awesome in this movie. This is thoroughly evolving. Vince Vaughn's awesome. This is Drill Sergeant. Uh, this is thought-provoking on multiple levels. Uh, and and this is a great performance and a great story of, of a human interest story. Hard to believe it's true, but boy, what an exciting movie. And again, you know, say what we want about Mel Gibson behind the scenes, in front of the camera, behind the camera as a director. The guy's, the guy's awesome. I love this movie, so it's my number five. I thought it should have won the Oscar for Best Picture, personally, that year. Uh, great movie, Hacksaw Ridge. And my and my problem with the with the decade isn't that the you know that I uh, it's not that I'm saying that the movies were terrible. My problem, and maybe this is 
not a good sign for the movies going forward. I, I think maybe COVID's impact was a bit overstated. My problem is I didn't see that many movies in the decade because I got to that point where I would rather do something else and I'll tell you why. And that uh, because there's a movie that should have been on my list and that would have been The Butler. The Butler was a great movie. I saw that movie in the little art house theater there in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at Steel Stacks. Well, I had a guy behind me, he had like four kids. Uh, he came in, he promptly goes to sleep He's in the row behind me. The kids are playing, basically, in the row behind me, just yeah. creating noise and everything the entire time. And that's what turned me off from the movies is people don't know how to act in movies anymore. And I think a lot, of, I think some of the decline in movie audiences have come from the fact that a younger generation and some ethnic generations treat the movies as a participation event, and it's well, not. Let me ask you a question. You remember when movies had ushers, correct? Yes. Now, the, the, I think that the, one of the issues is, would you say, and there's accuracy, of course, is you had ushers back in the day. So somebody spoke, the usher would say, Shh, or you got to go, right? Yep. But I also remember people smoking in movies. I remember my brother when I was a kid smoking in a movie theater. Yep. Uh, you know, and they, no more smoking. But yeah, I think the, 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 the not using ushers... Uh, for single screen movie theaters, I mean, the employment, the cost of that would be too much. But um, yeah, I mean, cell phone use in theaters is horrendous. And it's, it's bad on Broadway too, but it's horrendous in movie theaters, and that, that is an issue. I, I, I don't disagree on any way. Yeah, and so that, that's one. I think that's one one of the problems why my my list was hard to come up with. I I went with the, my number five. I went with a different James Bond movie because I already had something from 2012. So from 2015, I took Spectre only because I wanted to pay some homage to Daniel Craig. I think Don, Daniel Craig is James Bond. has been one of the shining moments of movies over the last 20 years or so. And um, so I wanted to uh, re at least recognize him in one of them. Uh, but I agree with you, Skyfall is a better movie than Spectre, but I was trying to go one per year, so Spectre is my number five. Okay, uh, my number four, another movie that I love, I saw this movie in a theater, it's called Whiplash. So we're at the Pocono Cinema 2014, J.K. Simmons won a Best Supporting Actor uh, Award and so well-deserved. Uh, Miles Teller plays this up-and-coming uh, musician, pianist, who goes to this, uh, this, this high art uh, school to, to, to be pushed, and boy, was he pushed. Uh, J.K. Simmons plays a, a lunatic uh, of, of an instructor uh, who tries to take this young student to the highest of levels. There's a really thought-provoking subject matter of how much should somebody with talent be pushed uh, to get the talent out of them. I gotta tell you, Ken, when I watch this movie, I literally had anxiety when this movie was over. I, I almost broke, I rarely broke a sweat. I rarely do break a sweat, even if I do intense uh, exertion. But I gotta tell you, I was like on pins and needles and I was so involved in this movie, the acting, the storyline, and it, it was intense. I mean, I rarely sat in movie theaters, non-action, non-action, and had such an intense feel, but Whiplash, did it for me great title too uh that's my number four jk simmons who's done so many different things j uh, j jonah jameson in the spider-man universe and does these commercials and he could be funny but 
boy, could he be serious. He was great, and he, that Oscar was so well-deserved. We're number four, Whiplash. Yes, his farmer's insurance commercials probably, you know, he, he and Lily from AT&T. Paying the bills, Ken. What's that? He's paying the bills. They're, they're paying the bills, yeah. It's, uh, he and Lily from AT&T made a lot of money off of their commercials, uh, let me tell you. In fact, Lily, yep. of course, they brought back because... I, I, gotta, I guess off the top of my head, I got to just say we're on this subject, the commercials. The, the, the woman who does those Geico commercials, like, how did they pick her? And boy, was she lucky. Yeah, and, and she has acted in a few things, but you don't recognize yeah. her. You know, Flo, is, no. Flo, is, Flo has made her life on them. And again, it's one of those things they try bringing in other characters. And yeah. like, you know, do you ever notice, does Dos Equis make commercials anymore since they got rid of the most interesting man in the world? Who would that be? I don't know. That, he was, he, that was his character. The guy played, he was, oh, the Dos Equis okay, yeah, commercials, right. he was the most interesting man in the world. I don't even recognize their commercials anymore. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. You can make a career. My number, my number four, I guess it is, um, one, of, you know, maybe one of my favorite tongue-in-cheek actors, maybe of all time, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, 2016. He might be able to play Inspector Clouseau. Um, I saw. I, he actually would be good. I, I just saw him in, uh, in it was a very old movie. I think it was 2012, Safe House with Denzel Washington, where he's playing the the sort of like the rookie spy and all that. And he's that uh, just such a such a great juxtaposition. Him and um, Denzel, but he was great in Deadpool. I mean, I I see the Deadpool series as a comedy series. I like those kind of superhero movies, the tongue-in-cheek right. ones. Uh, he right. does very well. Uh, he's always great in what he does. So I'm going to do Deadpool as my number four. Okay, fair enough. My number three, uh, another movie that when I saw this in theaters, I was like, it was released in uh, 2014. I was like, you know what? This is a great. This is as good a movie released that year. It was Nightcrawler which was basically Network meets Taxi Driver, stars Jake Gyllenhaal, who I think is his, this is his best role, plays a guy, sort of a con man-ish type of personality who gets a job for a, like sort of a TMZ overnight local news network and creates, winds up starting to create his own news, covering the slime of the overnight world and then starting to create his own news uh, Renee Russo uh, co-star she's really good in this movie but this is Jake Gyllenhaal's best movie this is a great movie uh, to me I, I remember walking out of theater going this is this generation's taxi driver I, I love this movie this is a great movie for people who have not seen it uh, watch it it's great Nightcrawler 2014 uh, my number three my number three features this generation's McLean Stevenson uh, yeah, he left a very successful run on a very successful TV show, which has spawned at least two movies so far, and probably more. Now what? Now, now he, he he left Mash to do what show? Tell me. Uh, oh, McLean Stevenson left Mash without anything necessarily settled. Then he played Hello Larry. Yes, Hello uh, Larry. But but this this person also left uh, because he, well, he wanted to do movies. And uh, the show continued on several seasons after him. His wife remarried. We all all forgot about him. He gets a role in a movie. He plays 99% of the movie in makeup as a beast. Of course, he is Dan Stevens, who was smart enough to leave Downton Abbey. <sighs> yeah, he he and uh, what's her name? Uh, the the Brown, the, the who played Sybil. Not the best career moves, but hey, they do this. Beauty and the Beast from 2017, the Disney live-action version. 
Beauty and I the like Beast. Movie. Beauty and the Beast was the one Disney movie that you looked at and you said, "Wow, you really could make this live action because the animation, especially the dance scene, seemed like so much like live action." Emma Watson, Dan Stevens in makeup. Beauty and the Beast, two thousand seventeen. Yeah, it was a great, great movie, and uh, you know, it was like I said last week when we were two weeks ago when we were doing them. It, the nineties the were the golden age for Disney animation, and they did a did a good one in uh, in making this one into live action. Yeah, and and I, I think uh, a week from uh, this Friday when Little Mermaid live action comes, that's going to be a very interesting barometer for Disney going forward. Uh, I would agree. My number two, I went with the Social Network from two thousand ten. It's a great movie. Uh, the, the story of Mark Zuckerberg and his creation of Facebook. I just think it's just a fascinating storyline. Uh, David Fincher uh, d- directed Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Andrew Garfield. Uh, just a, a great ensemble. Everybody in this movie is good. Uh, this is totally involving. Uh, it's obviously important. I guess it is an important part of history because social media, the impact it's had on a culture uh, is enormous, uh, as almost as anything is important, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, and especially Facebook. I, I, I must admit, I'm on Facebook, and I do use it. I do enjoy it. Uh, this was a great movie uh, from beginning to end. So my number two, The Social Network. Great movie, Ken. Yeah, I, I don't understand that Facebook stuff. We didn't really need it. I, I'm still on MySpace, and Tom and I still, <laughs> well, we're the only two people. Yeah, I mean, Facebook may have been the biggest... Uh, social media revolution or the biggest social revolution of all time because TikTok and the other stuff that came after it probably never would have come without it and yeah it's it's influenced elections and a lot more than that yeah and it's, it's no made doubt. it's made it so that you know if if you burp they know about it on Facebook an hour later they so. do and 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 the, the question of the 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 importance or the detriment of AI which I keep reading more and more about. Uh, every day, you know, how, how prevalent has that been on, on Facebook? Uh, you know, who knows what, who knows what you're reading and where you're reading it from and who's doing comments. It's, it's all interesting stuff. My, 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 my number two movie, and this actually was my favorite, one of my two favorite movies of the decade. Uh, it started Rami Malek. It was the story, of course, of Queen and Freddie Mercury. It was Bohemian Rhapsody, a great biopic. It was it was extremely well done. Uh, it was uh, released on the 23rd of October in that year. Do you know where it premiered? Oh, uh, no, tell me. It actually premiered in the city of London, but not in a theater in London. It premiered in Wembley Stadium, the the home of the infamous, the famous, the best 25 minutes in concert history from Live Aid, they actually premiered the movie in Wembley Stadium, which I thought was kind of neat. But so that is neat. Bohemian, that, that, yeah. So go on. I, I said the shot in that movie of when they're performing there is pretty incredible. I, I, listen, I walked in that movie. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, the director uh, got got canned. He completed most of it. They brought in another director. Uh, I, it's very entertaining. He's fantastic in that movie. And you know, one could argue that Freddie Mercury probably had maybe the most unique mind of a musical talent in the history of life. I mean, the guy's mind, the way he could create song, uh, was amazing. I mean, it was a gift from the heavens. It really was. It was, and if you've never done it, and people out there listening, go to YouTube and watch the video of their performance at Live Aid. 
because there are a lot of videos that are out, out there. The real one, I mean, it was it was special. And uh, yes. Fred, Freddie was a uh, perfectionist. Bohemian Rhapsody, they re-recorded tracks so much on that that they say because they were still recording it on the uh, on that old brown tape. They, the tape was clear by the time they were done. They had re- wow. they had reused it so many times. So that's my number two. It's a good pick. My number one. I, I went with Joker from 2019. I mean, it, I, it, it fits into the world of superheroes, but I don't think it's a superhero movie. It's actually uh, a, a, fa- a fascinating film. I, I think about the subject of mental illness. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix won an Oscar, well deserved for Arthur Flack. Uh, I thought his performance was just hypnotic. I love this movie from beginning to end. Uh, it's great characterization. What I liked about this movie is it does end on the note where it does bring in the world of, of Batman, although I don't think they're going to go in, into that uh, direction, but it leaves the door certainly open. Um, I just found this movie fascinating from the director of The Hangover, uh, Todd Phillips. I thought he did a great job. He understood what he was going for. He did it very well. Uh, I, I watched this movie at least four times in the theater and multiple times on, uh, on on stream, it's one of my certainly one of my favorite movies released in the last fifty years. Uh, it's my number one Joker from two thousand nineteen. I am looking forward, but I am ap- apprehensive on the sequel. But uh, I-, I love this movie. All my top five movies, Ken. I would use the word love. I, I think they're all great movies. All right. Well, my my, my number one from also from two thousand nineteen because I'm doing them in chronological order. Um, with DiCaprio and Pitt, who I'm, I'm not a big DiCaprio fan. I can tolerate Brad Pitt. Okay, I do enjoy Margot Robbie. Uh, I didn't expect anything from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it, it is one of those quirky movies that the Academy loves. And I actually watched it, and I really enjoyed it. You know, it, it, Me it, too. It gives you an alternative history on certain things. I love but, that part. But a great, great, great movie. And, uh, you know, I, I love Rock Hudson you know, coming out in that movie. And I, I love, you know, some of the other things they did with it. It's a, it's, it's a movie that, that's uh, worth watching if you haven't seen it. And it, it, I would argue, I, I would argue for me my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I really did like, I, I really did like this movie a lot. I thought Brad Pitt was was great in the, in this movie. Yep. Uh, he won a winning an Oscar for for best supporting actor. Though that was well deserved. I do find it fascinating uh, the aspect of re- revisionist history. And I tell you, when the Manson clan got theirs at the end, I, I was cheering <laughs> like I was cathartic. It was cathartic. It was well done. And uh, yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, and it was, it, was, it was a perfect example of telling a true history through yeah. fiction. And so I enjoyed that that was I, I like that. That was Very my number so. one for this week. Very good. And I and I, I you know this is good uh, this is good. I don't know where we'll go from here uh our, our top 10 next week, but this has been a lot of fun as I stated. You know, a lot of good things coming out. It's going to be really interesting next 5 weeks in theaters. A lot of big movies arriving. I'm looking forward to it. They're going to make a dent in the box office. It's going to be interesting to see the the divergence can between the top grossing film and the number five film, because uh, these are all big movies coming out now. We will have to watch that very closely. Yeah, and so to the audience at Wowo, thank you. To our podcast audience, thank you very much. To you, Ken, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.
podcast by Federated Media. Mm-hmm.